This is Truth and Love Ministries, where we bring people home to God by learning His truth and experiencing His unending love. Today we look back and see what we can learn from the folks of the Old Testament. It's not God's intention for us to continuously walk in the same mistakes that we've seen others make in the past. Instead, it's our job to learn from their mistakes and walk in wisdom for our future. We pray this message refreshes you and speaks encouragement to whatever is going on in your life right now. Okay, now for the message, Lessons from History. I want to say good morning to everybody. And I want to thank God for the opportunity, the privilege to be alive, for him keeping us, for him protecting us, for him meeting our needs and for him, for everything that he has done for us throughout this past week. So much is going on in our nation. So much is going on in the world. The attention has been drawn away from COVID-19, even though there are 100 and about 10,000 people that have lost their lives due to this disease. I want us to still remember those that are sick, those that have lost loved ones during this crisis. We still need to continue to pray for those who unselfishly put themselves in harm's way to serve and protect others without regard to themselves. We need to pray, pray for the scientists to, that's working so tirelessly to find a vaccine and a remedy to this virus. God help them, God help us. We need to continue to pray even though supposedly we, the job market showed a two and a half million jobs added. Still, there are so many unemployed and homeless and hungry. We need to pray that God will provide for them and pray for our leaders that God will turn their hearts to do his will. We still need to continue to pray, especially now with all the people that's gathering, marching and protesting. We need to pray that this virus does not come on the rise again and more people start to lose their lives and our health care system is overrun with people. We need to pray for this situation that's where people are protesting and issues with police. We've seen police do things that, I mean, we're really not surprised, and I'm not being judgmental about police because it is a very, very hard, pressurized, difficult job that these people have to do. But we've seen things that's, that's disturbing. And it's not only against black people, it's, it's been against any and all people. So we really need to pray for our, our, our law enforcement officers, those, those men that put their lives on the line every day. 
I believe that God is working in the midst of this situation, which I believe that God works in everything. He works in all things. I pray for all the safety of all people. We pray that hate groups won't be on the rise because in different states around the country, they are tearing down or taking down these, these statues that has caused so much trouble in the past. Things are happening that seem to favor some people. But either way it goes, we need God in the midst of this difficult day and dark hour that we're facing. So pray for God to intervene and, and to work and to move that no injury, no harm will come to the people that's marching, to people in general. Pray that there'll be no retaliation, revenge. Pray for God to work in our justice system to to cause men to, to stand for the oath that they raised their right hand to when they took these jobs. Pray for God to have mercy upon these governors and mayors who are faced with difficult difficulty in their cities, their states, those that are facing pressure to make changes May God lead, guide, and direct them in the changes that's necessary to bring about peace. Pray for God's will in, in all of these cases that's where people have been killed. Breonna Taylor killed in her bed. Pray for God to work and bring forth truth in that situation. And in all of these cases, May God turn the hearts of men to do his work and, and to do his will. I want to first say this about life. If, if, I had to, if I had to sum it up, I would, I would sum it up this way and, and don't, don't go out and say this is the summary of life because Pastor Nunn said it. But if I had to sum it up, I would sum it up this way. I would, I would say that life is a continual opportunity for us to see who we are and for us to manifest who God is. It's for us to see our frailties, our weaknesses, our, where we're broken, where, we, where, where Satan has gained a foothold in our lives where he has, he has deceived us, where we're blinded. I believe these are opportunities. These, these things are, God, is God, they, they are God's way of trying to get us to a place and a point to where he wants us to be. God is working his purpose and what is his purpose? What is his purpose for my life? What is his purpose for your life? 
His purpose is that we would be conformed to the image of his son so that this world that denies Jesus will actually see a manifested Jesus. I pray that we don't ignore, we don't ignore when God shows us something wrong about ourselves. We don't act as if it does not exist because when we do so we say that God is a liar. But that we work with God and we appeal to God to help us so that change can be manifested in us and that change will be the life of Christ shown to a dark world. Today we want to deal with lessons from history. We want to look back and learn. We want to look back and see some things that God showed us in, in the Old Covenant to help us. Because he said these were our examples that we should learn from them. So let's learn something today. Everybody know that life can be going on like a cruise. You can have plenty of activity, food, fun, and entertainment. You can be laying in your chair on the deck of the ship, cruising, taking it easy, and then all of a sudden you realize the name of your ship is the Titanic. And you can think, like the maker of it, that even God can't sink it, sink this ship. That's basically what he said. God has many ways to teach us. In some cases, he causes us to look up to the wise and learn from their example. Also, we can look to fools to see where they made wrong turns and learn to avoid their mistakes. Matthew chapter 7, verse 22 and 23 says this. He says, I, wanna, I want you to hear the first two words of this scripture. The first three words. On that day. On that day. And I believe when he says on that day, he's in reference to the day that we stand before Christ. The day of judgment. When he look at our lives and, and judge the deeds that we've done in the body. It says on that day, many, many. I think this is one of the saddest verses in the Bible. But he says, on that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And this is Jesus speaking. He said, and then will I declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers 
of lawlessness. Jesus spoke of people that thought they had it all together only to find out on that day or the last day they had it all wrong. We need to make sure we are not among them. And let me say this to you. I, I, knowing God, knowing God and, and, and seeing how he's operated and moved in my life, I know God didn't just allow these people to live their lives believing that they were right and then at, on that day exposed to them that they were wrong. As I said at the beginning, I believe that God actually showed, showed these people who they were, where they were broken, where they were blinded, where they were confused, where they were mixed up, where Satan had a grip in their lives. But I believe that they ignored the warnings from the Spirit. They ignored the warnings from the Spirit and went on their way thinking that they had it all together only to find out on that day that they didn't. I believe that we can take lessons from history and learn some things that may be plaguing us and troubling us that have plagued men, women in history and see where they made their mistakes and learned from them. In Genesis chapter 4, verse number 1, it says this, it says, now, And now Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. What I want to do this morning, I want to take you on a journey through Cain's life and we want to look at four scenes. And scene one is the maternity ward. Here we have the first woman. During the first pregnancy. Getting ready to have the first baby. Now note that they are living outside the garden under the judgment of God. And yet he gives them some hope in Genesis chapter 3. In Genesis chapter 3 verse 15 he says, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. In the King James it says seed, your seed and her seed. And he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. There's hope in that verse. There's hope because it says that there will come one of the seed of the woman, which there is no seed in the woman, which means God was going to do something special and unique. And he said, he's going to bruise your head. He's talking to the devil, he's talking to the serpent, and you shall bruise his heel. In other words, he's going to deliver a crushing blow. To, to wickedness and evil. 
And we see that this child would inflict a fatal wound on the enemy. Then you got to note, she had never seen a birth except in the animal kingdom. She didn't know what to expect. I'm sure like it is today, she started out sick in the morning. Over time, she started to show. And then pain and delivery came about. And she had a son. And I want you to think with Eve in this situation. I want you to think about the promise that was just made. I don't know how far the promise was to the conception of this child, but I want you to think about the promise. And she probably had the promise in her mind that she's thinking about the promise. And Genesis chapter 4 verse 1 is translated, I have brought forth a man child, the Lord. Eve is actually thinking that he was the Savior. The one that would master evil and make all things right. Then came Abel, his brother. His competition. You know how it is when you're the baby and all of a sudden a newborn baby comes into the house and all the attention shifts away from you to that other baby and you feel that there's some competition in the house for mom and daddy's attention. Cain had to show him who was the boss. He was the firstborn. And the story goes on that Cain became a great farmer and God blessed him. Now, let's shift to scene two. Scene two is at the altar. Now, it's time for the family to go to church. Now, there was no building to go to, so they would erect a pile of rocks and make an altar. Both of the boys brought an offering. Cain brought every kind of fruit and vegetable, and Abel brought an animal from the flocks. Abel went first. I can see Cain saying, you go ahead and go first and do your little thing and, and then I'll show you how it's supposed to be done. Genesis chapter 4, verse 4, and the first part of verse 5, it says, And Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. And it says, And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering he had no regard. So here's the question. How do we know that God accepted Abel's and not Cain? Abel goes first. He places his offering on the altar. He prays. He confesses his sin. The family looks on. And as we have seen in future stories, fire comes down and consumes the offering. The offering is taken. Everybody's rejoicing. God heard his prayer. God showed him mercy. God forgave his sin. 
Now Cain, he lays his fruit and vegetables on the altar and it looks like a Thanksgiving feast. He steps back. He gathers some straw and, and puts straw around it and it looks like a, looked like a festival, a feast on the altar. He steps back and nothing happens. And now the family has been waiting about an hour now and nothing has taken place. Eve finally looks around and say, you know, we've been in worship a couple of hours now. It's getting time to head back home. Cain is humiliated. He's sick and angry. And he starts to think in his mind, what was so good about Abel's offering? What was so good about his? So we have to ask ourselves, what is the key to this story? Anytime you're reading an Old Testament story, you have to ask yourself, is there a New Testament reference to the story? And it is. In Hebrews chapter 11, verse 4, the first part of that verse, it says this, and the first two words gives us the key to why Cain, Abel's offering was accepted, and Cain's was not. It says, here's the, here's, the, here's the answer, listen close. By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain. Just those two words tells us that Cain was not a man of faith. He believed in God, came to worship, made an offering, but didn't have faith. Let me say that again. He believed in God. He came to worship. When the plate came around, he put something in, but didn't have faith. And I know the next question is this, what is faith? Faith is trusting in and acting on what God has revealed. Faith is trusting in and acting on what God has revealed. God had revealed the only way to come to him was with the sacrifice of an animal and the shedding of blood. Abel believed in and acted on it and Cain didn't. Cain was a man without faith. He didn't trust in or act on what God had revealed. The principle of the sacrifice goes back to the garden. I know everybody thinks that the principle of the sacrifice came on later, came later on. But it goes back to the garden. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 21, it says, And the Lord God made for Adam and, his, and for his wife garments of skin and clothed them. Now you have to ask yourself the question, 
Where did the garments of skin come from? God actually killed an animal and made clothing for them. In other words, he, he was not so much as concerned about covering their body as he was covering their sin. God made this first sacrifice. God demonstrated how we were to come to him, them, come to him. And Adam taught his family how it was to be done. Adam taught his family how they were to approach God. You see, our sin leads to death, but God accepted an, another may die in our place until God could get the perfect lamb, the perfect sacrifice in the earth. He allowed us to, them to slay animals just for the covering of their sin. And when they did, he, he would show mercy and it would come through the laying down of another life. Abel believed and acted on it. Cain wanted to bring something he had worked on. Let me say this to you. We cannot impress God with what we want to do. We cannot impress him with works that we choose to perform. We can't impress him and offer him what we want to offer him. We have to come the way God has appointed for us to come. Let's go to scene three. Here we are alone with God. I don't know when God spoke to Cain, but believe he spoke in an audible voice as he, had, as he had been doing in that day during that time. I believe he spoke in an audible voice. And the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? And why has your faith fallen? I can imagine what Cain thought. He didn't say this, but I can imagine him saying, I'm sick of my little brother. His offering brings fireworks and mine actually bring nothing. I'm tired of him. Now he's getting all the attention. He's, he's the one that everybody is gravitating to. In Genesis chapter 4, verse number 7, it says, If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. Let me say this, there is no favoritism with God. He treats all the same. If you come the way he reveals, you will find mercy. If not, sin is at the door. 
Note that this is the first time sin is used in the Bible. The word sin is used in the Bible. And I want you to see sin crouch like a cougar, waiting to pounce on you and consume you. If you don't do right, you set yourself up for disaster. Too often we ask God why. When the truth is, we have to ask, did we deal with what God was revealing? Did we allow God to work? Did we heed his voice? Let's go to scene four. Scene four is in the fields. I want you to just imagine that after they made their offering and Cain's offering, Abel's offering has been received and God has accepted him and he has not accepted Cain's offering. I can imagine Cain not speaking to his brother. I can imagine that when problems arose, when problems came up, it always seemed to be Abel's fault. And we got to understand how Cain got to the place and the point where he, his own brother, his own flesh and blood, how he would kill his own brother. I believe he, can, he, he started to internalize things. He started to fantasize. He, became, he started to imagine. He became obsessed. He began to think of ways how he could get rid of his brother. It's almost the same story as with Joseph and his brothers, how they didn't like him because he was favored by the father. And they began, they sat, they began to think. And the Bible says they actually hated their brother. And they began to think on, of ways how to get rid of him. And they threw him in a pit and they took him out of the pit and they sold him into slavery. And you know the rest of the story. And I'm sure Cain has thought over and over and time and time again, how can I get rid of my brother? And the sad part of this story is the first baby became the first murderer. And then God spoke again and Cain was in denial. But I want you to note that God is not fooled by our denial. His punishment is announced. The field will no longer produce for you. Your brother's blood is in it. There are some consequences for your action, Cain. But I want you to understand that even in this judgment, God deals with him in mercy. 
And so it is with us. God deals with us in mercy. Always understand that no matter what you are dealing with, going through, you have never gotten what you truly deserve. God is dealing with us in his mercy. Because in Genesis chapter 9, verse 6, it says this, Whoever sheds the blood of a man, by man shall his blood be shed. For God made man in his own image. In other words, God could have required Cain's life when he killed his brother. What should have given Cain hope was the same thing that gave his mother and father hope when they were, were under God's judgment. God spoke to them and God gave them a promise. I want you to notice that God is still speaking to him. Even after killing his brother, if you think along the lines of the Christian, a lot of times we think that God stops speaking to us and people when we do the wrong things, but God is still speaking to Cain after murder. And he should embrace the consequences of what he has done before he's cut off by God. He should grab hold of, he, admit, take responsibility. He still had a chance for mercy and reconciliation. All he had to do was confess his sins and turn to God in true repentance. The darkest point could have, could become the turning point in your life. Let me say this to you, no matter where you are, no matter what you're going through, dealing with or facing, I want you to understand that the darkest moment in your life can be the turning point in your life. This could be the place where your life begins to change. This could be the point where your life begins to look up. This could be the point and place where you start on a new path, a new journey, a new life with God, if you will turn to him in true repentance. But what does Cain do? He begins to wallow in self-pity. In Genesis chapter 4, verse 13 and 14, Cain said to the Lord, my punishment is greater than I can bear. Listen at that. My punishment is greater than I can bear. In other words, I, he's, he's, he's more concerned about himself and the salvation of himself than, it, than he is what he's done and being reconciled to God. He said, behold, you have driven me today away from the ground and from your face I shall be hidden. I shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth, and whoever finds me will kill me. And then when you look in Genesis chapter 4, verse 17, it says, Cain knew his wife, and she conceived and bore Enoch. 
when he built the city, he called the name of the city after the name of his son, Enoch. Cain left God's presence, built a city, and we heard nothing else about God in Cain's life. What does this say to us? What does this tell us? It tells us that a successful person who worshiped God went down. A successful person who worshiped went to the altar, made a sacrifice, gave, prayed, and yet went down in their lives, in their life. So what we want to do is we really want to learn how we can avoid. We want to learn how we can avoid following in the same footsteps as Cain did. What did Cain do? What do we need to look for? What do we need to try to stay away from? The first thing I would say to you is this. Never underestimate the power of sin. Never underestimate the power of sin. When we allow sin a known place and we say I know I do this, but I won't go any further. I got it under control. Sin is like a wild animal. And you got it under control. Let me say this. I, 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 it, it reminds me of a story of a lady, and, and, and the best I know this is a true story of a lady that bought had this huge snake in her house and and all of a sudden she started to realize that the snake's habits were changing and she realized that this snake was laying stretching out beside her in the bed and somehow, I can't remember the, the, all, the, all the details of the story, but somehow the lady, I guess, I guess, got concerned about the snake, went to the veterinarian and told the veterinarian what was actually going on. And the veterinarian told her that this snake was beginning to size her up. In other words, he was getting ready to see if he could consume her. My point is, Sin is like a wild animal. I mean, you can raise a tiger from a cub, but don't ever forget that he is still a tiger. And that that wild nature is still down on the inside of him. And at in any given moment, any given time, he could jump up 
kill, consume, and master you. And remember I said sin is like a cougar crouched at the door, like a wild animal. And even when you think that you have that animal under control, it desires to master you. And as we open the door to sin, it gains entrance. And if you close the door, it will crouch at the door and master you and overcome you. You may have areas where you are toying with it and thinking you have it under control. Don't fool yourself. You don't know where it will lead you. The scriptures say you must master it or it will master you. And the only answer is the grace found in Jesus Christ. The second thing we need to learn from Cain, a lesson from history, is this. Don't pretend to love God if you hate your brother. Do not pretend to love God if you hate your brother. 1 John chapter 4, verse 20 says this, If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. He's saying, don't pretend that you love God and hate your brother. He said, you're actually a liar. He said, how are you going to love a God you've never seen and hate your brother who you see daily, who is made truly, like the scripture said in Genesis chapter 9, verse 6, who is made in the image of God. In him there is a part of God. I know most of the time we may not see it. But in him there is a part of God. And in 1 John chapter 3, verse 16, it says, 1 John 3, 16, it says, By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. And if you read in 1 John Three, if I'm not mistaken, it talks about the spirit of Cain. See, the spirit of Cain actually was willing to lay down the life of his brother. Jesus said we should be willing to lay down our lives for our brother. Being religious is not enough. Believing in God. Putting something in the offering is not enough. Listening to the word and being unchanged is not enough. A lot of people believe that, that because they come to church and because they tithe and because they work on certain boards and because they participate in certain activities and, and do certain things in the choir and do certain things in the church, that, that they are safe. These are God's ways of warning us that this is not enough. 
Cain made an offering. Cain went to church. I'm sure Cain prayed. But it was not enough. God did not accept it because he did not do it the way God had prescribed for him to do it. We can't do this the way we want to do it. I can't give God what I want to give him. I have to give him what he commands me to give. I can't do it the way I think I was comfortable for me. I have to do it the way God prescribes it. And that's the third thing. Come to God in God's appointed way. Proverbs said it this way. There is a way that seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof is death or destruction. Jesus said in John 14, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man can come to the Father except by me. That is God's appointed way. We have to come to God the way God has laid it out for us to come. We cannot substitute one thing for another. We cannot determine our own way. That's what's going on in the world. That's what's happening all over the world. People are coming up with the religions and denominations. Even in the church, people are coming up with their way of approaching God, meeting God, coming to God. They're coming up with their own way. God had already prescribed the way. He had shown Adam and Eve in the garden when he killed the animals so that he could cover them. He was not just covering their body, he was covering their sin. He was demonstrating that he would accept the life of an animal until he could get Jesus in the earth. And it was Adam, Adam's responsibility to teach his sons how to approach God. And I'm sure Adam taught his sons and he taught them to come by way of sacrifice because, in other words, how did Abel know? except his father taught him. How did Abel know to bring the, a portion of fat in, in, in the first firstling of his flock? His father taught him. And he chose to act upon the way that God had revealed. He believed it, he trusted in it, and he acted upon it. Cain decided that he was going to come the way he wanted to. Why? Because maybe because he was a farmer and his brother raised the animals, he might would have had to humble himself and go to his brother to get an animal. And he refused to, so he decided to come his own way. He decided to offer God what he had worked and produced with his own hands. 
only to find himself rejected. Let me say this again. We cannot come the way we want to come. We cannot do it the way we want to do it. Cain left the presence of God and never mentioned anything, never heard anything about him or God again. Except for in the New Testament, he is spoken of as he's acquainted with evil. There's one sacrifice that God has made, one way he has determined to come. Can't come in your own name. Can't come with your own works. And what we have to realize that if we come the way God has appointed, we will and can receive mercy. Mercy. We can and we will receive mercy. Or we can be like Cain and make excuses and have a pity party and be in denial and act as if our sins don't exist. Act as if everything is okay. Wonder why God is rejecting me. When truthfully the rejection came from me, I rejected his way. I rejected the way God had determined that I should come. I hear people say all the time that there's more than one way to get to heaven. They don't like it when you say there's only one way. They don't like it when you say there's only one one man. They don't like it when you tell them that good works is not the way to heaven. They want to believe that they can do it how they want and still accomplish, achieve heaven. But they're wrong. If we are to receive the blessings of God, then it is our responsibility to operate in the way, the methods, the means that God has provided for us to operate in and through. Proverbs said this twice, and I'm going to say it twice. There is a way that seems right unto a man, but the end thereof is destruction and possibly even death. I want to say again what I said from the beginning. If you had to sum up life, what is, this, what is it all about? What is it all about? God is exposing. God is exposing. Every time we enter into a crisis, every time we're faced with a situation, every time that we go through difficulty, God is exposing something about us. It is not for us to look around and see what's wrong with other people. It is for us to look and see what's wrong with us. And let me say this, when you find something wrong with you, don't beat yourself up. Run to Jesus. 
Run to Jesus. Run to Jesus. Let him know that he is the only way. Let him know that you need his grace. Let him know that you're relying and dependent upon his mercy. Let him know that you're dust. Let him know that you are consumed by this situation and this circumstance and you cannot get free from it no matter how hard you try. Lean on the everlasting arms of Jesus. Trust in his word. Trust in his power. Rely on his strength and his ability. Realize he is divine. You are the branch and without him you can do Nothing. Remember, freedom comes through the cross and through the shed blood of the Son of God. Lean, rely, trust, depend upon that. And let God work and move and liberate and deliver and set you free from whatever it is that you see in your life that you're facing. Don't be like Cain in denial. Don't be like Cain never taking full responsibility for his actions. True repentance takes responsibility for actions and exclude external circumstances. True repentance is when I don't blame mom. I don't blame dad. I don't say I got this because I'm like this way because my daddy was this way or my mama was this way. You have to be like the thief on the cross. And the thief on the cross, he said, this man has done nothing wrong. He said, but we are receiving the due reward for our sin. And being recognizing his weakness and inability to help or to save himself, he looked over at Jesus and said, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus looked back at him in return and said, today shall you be with me in paradise. Jesus is the way. Jesus is the truth, and Jesus is the life. And no man can come to the Father except he come by Jesus. Let us pray. Lord, we just bless you, we praise you, we worship you, we honor you, Lord God. And Father, we come to you appealing to you for your, for your help. We're leaning on the everlasting arms of Jesus. Lord, I pray concerning what you have revealed to us about us. I pray that you help us to see that you have, you bring about things in our lives to help us come to a place and a point where we realize who we are and what we are so that we can demonstrate to the world who you are. I pray, Father, that you would grace us through whatever trial we're facing, whatever difficulties we're going through, whatever sin that's crouched at our door, 
where Satan has blinded our minds to it, where we cannot see what may even have us by the throat. Help us, O God. Remove the scales from our eyes, the plugs from our ears, the veil from our heart, so that we can see with our eyes, hear with our ears, understand with our heart, and be converted that you should heal, deliver, liberate, and set us free. And Father, I bless you and praise you and thank you, worship you, honor you for what you're doing. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed what you heard, come back next week. But before you go, let's spend a little bit of time in worship to our God.
Jesus. 